You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. I've heard about many different styles of education, but I was scrolling through a website the other day when I stumbled across the term democratic education. It sounds intriguing, doesn't it? Can children vote on what they learn about? What would that even look like? Jessie Fulcher is from Where the Books Are, a non-profit website that aims to empower children through books. She also works with children from four to six years of age in democratic play-based learning. Jessie, welcome to Kindling Conversation. Thanks. It's great to be here. So what exactly is democratic education? Do you have any examples of how it works in practice? Democratic education is education that supports the idea that children are powerful and children can make their own decisions in regards to their education and way of life. So what does that look like? I mean, is this um, pre-school or are you talking also primary-aged kids? Yeah, so democratic education starts at preschool and can go all the way through to um, high school and there is even a democratic-based university in Japan that's on, on its way to getting a bit more big. Um, I particularly work in at the primary school. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that they can say, I don't want to do maths today, and they can vote on it? Like, how does, it, how does that work practically? Yeah. So, yes, they can sometimes say, I don't want to do maths today. Um, that often creates an opportunity for discussion about why that child doesn't want to do maths, but it's bigger than that. So in a democratic school, children use a democratic meeting process to decide what they want to learn about as a whole group and also how they want the school to run and be facilitated. And why is this a good way for kids to learn? Um, Look, it's a good way for children to learn because it creates in them the knowledge that they have the power to change their circumstances and they have power over what happens to them. Does it mean, though, that sometimes you might end up just, I don't know, learning about the Smurfs or um, ponies? or uh, And what, what have you found in that regard in terms of the breadth of things that they will cover? Yes. So I have not the Smurfs yet, but definitely <laughs> ponies. Um, we've done, we've just finished a topic on forests because that's what everyone really wanted to look at. So that was really rich. And we looked at kelp forests and rainforests and animals and ecosystems. So there's a lot of potential in whatever the group decides to learn about. There's a lot of potential for diverse learning. Um, Perhaps my favourite day of learning was when we decided we really wanted to learn about poo. Um, (laughs) And I I don't think I've ever had such a rich learning experience. (laughs) I think you're going to have to extrapolate on that. What what exactly happened then? Oh, well, we we had um, decided to learn about poo, so that was the vote. That was what we wanted to learn about. And so then I, I, as a teacher, thought about ways to support that learning. So... In some circumstances, when children have a topic, they just go and they explore and they research on their own. Um, and also there's an opportunity there for teachers to facilitate. So once, once we decided to learn about poo, we thought about, well, what, what is there actually to learn about poo? So we ended up learning about the digestive system, about different animal trails. We made great, disgusting stories about poos <laughs> and toilets, so really rich literacy opportunities as well. It was, yeah, it was a really wonderful learning 
journey. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Jessie Fulcher from Where the Books Are. It's a non-profit website and it's about empowering children through books. But Jessie's talking about democratic play-based learning, which is what she does with children from four to six age years of age. And it's about giving children the power to choose which direction their learning goes in. Jessie, how many schools operate like this? Are there many? I mean, I don't, I can't think of any that I've heard of in my area. Democratic education is an international movement. Um, there are lots of schools under that umbrella, but we also align ourselves very closely with other forms of free education um, and alternative education. So there's there's quite a few schools in Australia, um, quite a few in, in Sydney. There's some in Sydney, Tasmania, um, Victoria, and of course where, where I am in Brisbane. So there's quite a few different options um, in both primary education and secondary education. Um, but it's a worldwide movement, so in most, in so many different countries, there is democratic education. Now, I hate to bring this up because I personally think there's probably too much emphasis on this in terms of outcomes and measuring outcomes. Um, does the democratic system have a way of measuring whether this form of learning is successful for outcomes for children later in life? Yes, we have. There are some studies that have been done. So. Peter Gray, who is a um, researcher in, in play in the United States, did a study about one particular school, Sudbury, which is a free school, so there's, there's a lot more choice. Um, it's, a, it's a very free school in terms of democratic education, and he actually looked at the um, employment opportunities and decisions made by graduates of that school. So that was a um, preschool through to the end of high school, and he discovered that children went through lots of different paths. So some went through the normal university path, but also that graduates were doing things that just really interested them. So some of these examples he gave was a captain on a cruise ship because that particular person really liked boats. And another was a fashion designer because all through school, that child had the opportunity to pursue their interest in textiles and in design. And you mentioned university there for yeah. Australian children. Most applicants have to get a certain entry score to get into the course they want. Does, do children in this system sit the same tests as the rest of Australian kids? Do they have to sit NAPLAN? Do they have to do their HSC? Yeah, so as schools we offer all those tests. Um, again, it is between the, the child and their parents what tests they are willing to sit. Um, I'm not I'm not 100% sure about the HSC being from Brisbane, um, but there, as, as schools, we also are able to help them realise all the other opportunities to get into university. So we find some children, they, they don't want to sit those tests, so they'll go and they'll do a TAFE course first and eventually work their way into university in those directions as well. So how can parents apply this approach in their child's everyday life, is there a way of them applying this approach to their everyday life if it sounds appealing to them? Yeah, so, so there, there are ways and I'd just like to say that it's really important even if you are sending your child to a democratic school, it's important to apply democratic principles in your child's learning at home because school's not a 24-7 thing but a democratic lifestyle is. So one of the ways you can do this at home is to admire what your child does. So 
David Gribble is an educator from the UK and he said this great thing. He said, teachers need to be able to admire their pupils. Admiration nurtures ambition. Condescending praise induces disgust. And I, I think that's really true and I see it in the families that I work with um, that you need, to, you need to be interested in what your child does and you need to um, become involved in their learning even though sometimes it doesn't match us. So that's one way to do it. Another really important way is to read to your children because when you read, you present learning opportunities that children can say no to and that's huge. How do you mean in that way? Yeah. So could you explain? I don't think I quite understand. So if I'm reading to my child, mm-hmm. how does that give them the, the power to say no to certain things? Okay, so when you read to your child, you present a a story to them. You present something that happens and there are always decisions made in that story. And when you read, as you read to your child, they can think, hmm, do I agree with the way that character acted? Maybe I did, but also maybe I didn't. Did I agree that that was the right outcome? Maybe I didn't. And this is vastly different to just having a discussion with your child. Since when you have a discussion, there's there's a few other things at play there. There's your relationship with the child and they might, they might want to side with you but it might feel a bit uncomfortable to them. But when you just present a story, there's complete and utter freedom to say no. Um, and there's, there's lots of studies that show that when children are given opportunity to say no, that they also feel really comfortable to say yes as well. So if we're taking this into, um, let's just say, everyday life, and are you saying that we should apply democratic principles to, let's say, what we do on the weekend? So we all get together as a family and say, okay, what is it that we want to do today? Do we want to go to the park? Do we want to go to the pool? Is it about giving them that kind of sense of agency in those kinds of decisions as well? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's important also to not have it all be the decision on the child's head. I think that it's perfectly okay to say, look, this is our weekend. We've got some things that we probably really need to do. You've got soccer practice, you know, and we've got to go to grandma's for her birthday. How can we fit in these and still some other things we want to do? And having a full discussion, not just a, yes, you want to do that? Okay, we'll do what you want. But really letting them know your needs as well. Jessie, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. That's Jessie Fulcher. She's from Where the Books Are, and you can find out more about Where the Books Are at their website, which is wherethebooksare.com. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.